Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome to What's the Hazard. This is our podcast for safety professionals, uh, by safety professionals. So we're folks out in the field that are doing this every day just like you. And um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my guest today is Aaron Cerrone, a friend of mine. Um, we've actually been friends for a few years now. And um, I'm going to give him a full introduction in a moment. Let me give you my observation for the week first. Um I'm an industrial hygienist by training, so I've been doing industrial hygiene for about 30 years, and I was at a facility this week um, doing some noise monitoring. You know, in the industrial hygiene world, that's about as easy as it gets, hanging some dosimeters, watching the employees work, and trying to determine, you know, where these noise exposures are coming from. And so I did two days of full shift sampling at a facility here in Nebraska. Uh, It was interesting. Um... One thing I will say, the worst part of industrial hygiene is trying to keep the employees from destroying your equipment, right? I mean, it's very, we believe it to be very sophisticated, this, you know, recognition of all of these potential uh, physical and chemical agents uh, that employees might be exposed to. And so we're out there watching them. In reality, the biggest challenge is keeping them from breaking your stuff, man. I mean, you hang this equipment all over them and these employees go about their business and if you're not watching them all the time, they're dropping them. They're they're dropping them in the water. I watched one guy hanging over this mixer. I could see my dosimeter just about ready to drop into this mixer and get destroyed. I mean, by the end of the the shift, all your equipment is covered in goo or crap or what. I mean, it's just you know. Anyway, so uh, it's not quite as sophisticated as people would like to believe it is, maybe. But uh, anyway, so the one thing I wanted to talk about was I was up at this site. We got all the dosimeters out first thing in the morning, early in the morning, and we were kind of walking through the facility, just checking things out, making some notes about what the employees were doing. And the guy I'm with, the safety manager, gets a notification that there's a little bit of an issue up front. So we go up to the front office, and there's a disgruntled employee up there who is uh, screaming, uh, obviously uh, unhappy. You can tell by the tone and by the the language that there's – there's an issue here. And you immediately, man, your adrenaline starts to pump a little bit. I don't know if you've been in that situation, but you're kind of feeling the adrenaline pumping. And uh, we go up there and there's this employee had gone right through security, right through the entrance. We know hadn't badged in or anything. There were some, the, you know, the, the security people standing around, other employees. And I mean, we're in the main office now and this guy is uh, causing quite a scene. So my guy, my sa- the safety manager, who's also responsible for security, is trying to intervene Uh, Finally, they got the employee into a room at least so they could at least discuss what the issue was. Still some threats and some screaming. Finally, the local police came out to respond. Uh, You can just kind of feel the adrenaline just kind of de-escalate a little bit as it starts to calm down. But it was interesting because, you know, he and I talked. They believed that they had a a contingency in place. They thought they had some semblance of security and it it just fell apart when it was put to the test, you know. So, obviously, uh, that was a lesson learned, and you know, nothing, nothing uh, terrible arose from that. So, I guess that was good. Uh, so, we're walking back to the office, and then he gets another call, and they had a squad run because they had an employee who was having chest pains. So, they ran the emergency local emergency squad. They came out. We ran over there. Uh, they're loading the employee up on a gurney, throwing him in the back of the squad, and they run off. And he's like. Oh, God, man, quite a day we're having here, you know. And as we're walking back to the office, a third call comes through. He gets notification. Hey, uh, we need you to come up front. So we look at each other. We walk back up front, and there's an OSHA compliance officer there. 
you know, and they're there to make an inspection. They'd gotten a complaint. And uh, it was unbelievable that, you know, three in a row, I mean, within the probably the course of an hour, three of these incidents, you know, which really challenge your system to make, you know, I mean, do you have contingencies in place? Are you prepared for this? And the thing that I, I thought was, you know, we tell people all the time to be ready for an OSHA inspection, to have some kind of preparation um, uh, contingency in place before they show up. And, um, you know, he had never been through an OSHA inspection at this facility. And so it was, you know, there's always that anxiety, that tension, uh, that anticipation. You don't know quite what. And uh, it just reminded me that, man, you really need to be prepared for these things. And I don't think, you know, it's easy to kind of write up a report. It's easy to kind of tabletop this stuff until it really happens. You have no idea whether you are truly prepared. So I told him, hey, look, man, I mean, this was really uh, an opportunity to test all these systems and make sure that they function. You know, we didn't have a bad outcome with the disgruntled employee, fortunately. And we know that we need to, you know, look at some security measures. Uh, the medical response actually happened pretty, you know, pretty well. The supervisor got made notification. They got that handled. And then the OSHA inspection, you know, hopefully will turn out all right. Um, I think it was, you know, it seemed to go well. So, but man, I mean, you know, by the end of the day, we were, I mean, by this time, the day was almost over. It was uh, worked out well. So anyway, so I guess the, the moral of that story is, um, be prepared, you know, and, uh, you know, make sure that you've got your contingencies in place for these things. So anyway, Aaron Cerrone, um, we've been friends for a couple years now. He is uh, an instructor at the University of Nebraska in the business department. He is a small business owner. He is a coach. Um, he is kind of a life coach of sorts for me. Um, even though I'm probably twice his age, we, you know, he has been kind of giving me some guidance. He's a martial artist and he owns an academy here in town. And uh, so I've been going, I, I just love that type of training. It's really um, intense. Well, I guess not what I do, but the other people, Give yourself some credit. <laughs> the, Come other, on. the other people do it. Let's it's relatively intense. Um, but you are, uh, you're kind of a process. You're also a soldier, an, an airman. Is that the right term? You're in the military. Uh, I'm in uh, Air Force Reserves. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, so you do a lot of different stuff, man. But the thing that was Got a nickel and dime your way there. <laughs> the thing that was most impressive to me was when we are doing our, when we're working out together, we're always talking, it seems like that's the only way I can keep from passing out. <laughs> from hyperventilating. From overworking. <laughs> but the leadership stuff that we've talked about, um, that, that's kind of your expertise is either process improvement. I know you're a Six Sigma black belt. I mean, you, you do a lot of stuff that's related to process, to leadership, is that what you do in the yeah, business Well, you department? know, it's it's a, as I started out, I went to the United States Air Force Academy. So I was in the military literally three weeks after high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can kind of get beat about the head and shoulders about leadership when, right. you're, when you're at that institution. Sure. I, I never claimed to have gone to college. I was institutionalized <laughs> right. for, uh, for four years. And then, of course, you know, eight years after duty in the military, and you go through your various leadership schools and sure. then... You know, I've been in the reserves for 15, going on 16 years, you know, and there's various levels. For every, every time you get rank, you go to another school, and there's okay. there's more leadership learning and training. And then, you know, you go from basic leadership and followership to now executive level and, and strategic leadership, right. things like that. And, you know, my time working uh, in the military, and then I cut my teeth in the corporate world for a little while, now I'm in academia. So you start to see leadership 
from all kinds of different angles, mm-hmm. you know. So my experience has now allowed, you know, pretty much allowed me to round it out. And then running your own business right. and having to be your own boss and the boss of others literally up front, you know, gives you a different perspective mm-hmm. as well. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, all along the way, you know, I uh, when I was in the military, I was uh, in what they call the standardizations and evaluations division, which now you start looking at standard operating procedures, lessons learned, after action reports, oh, yeah. and then using that to take your metrics and then now make changes for the better mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day. And then so I kind of got a niche for that, which kind of just leads you into process improvement, which leads mm-hmm. you right into the Lean Six Sigma. And then, of course, you know, you educate mm-hmm. yourself along the way. And, right. and you know, so that's kind of where I'm at. And that's where UNO picked me up is my experience there to teach operations, mm-hmm. okay. which, you know, and then they found out I had my own business, which then they threw me in entrepreneur class. And then oh, yeah, no doubt. I started out as an adjunct professor, and then I came on full-time eventually a few years ago. Nice. And um, Oh, that's cool. But, you know, and that's really how our, our discussions mm-hmm. start. You know, it's one of those things. And as, as a coach, uh, you're right. I, I, do, I do play therapist sometimes, mm-hmm. but sounding board. But mm-hmm. it's also one of those things where – that as I'm coaching, I think that's part of coaching is talking to people. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. Right? And, yep. and you know, yeah, we are kickboxing. We're hitting pads, but we're also coaching. You know, right. and you coach wherever wherever it needs to go. Exactly. And, and that's part of student development. And, right. you know, the martial arts isn't just about punching and kicking. It's just it's making better people. No doubt. And for us, it's talking about industrial stuff. No you know, doubt. for other people, it's talking about, you know, diet, nutrition. Some I'm people, sure. it's... I know more about their family life than I ever cared to know, yeah, you know, and, and that's one of those things I think as a coach and, you know, that's one of those hats that as a boss you have to wear as well. You know, I talk about in my management classes, like you wear different hats all the time. One of them's a coaching hat mm-hmm. and one of them's a mentor. One of them's a sounding board. One of them's an advisor. One of them's a counselor. It's like, right. you know, whatever it needs to be at the time. But I think that's one of those things about martial arts where it really comes to fruition is like, if your goal is to, teach punching and kicking that's easy but if your goal is to help make better people mm-hmm. now you got to start changing hats absolutely right is that uh, you know so my, for you i put the hard hat on <laughs> <laughs> no doubt right man but i mean the reason i mean you're here i think for one thing i can remember coming in into uh we were working out one afternoon and i think i'd either been to a plant or i was going to a facility where they'd had an accident you know, we were going to go do an accident investigation, maybe look for some root cause type things or some causal factors or something. And you said to me, you know, Doug, man, there's only really three things that can cause an accident. And this, you said either they don't have a process or the process is flawed or the training that they had given the employees was inadequate. They don't know how to the use process. the process. They didn't know how to use the process. Right. And man, I've been thinking about that ever since. And that was probably two or three months ago we had that conversation, but it really summed it up very well. And it's not just accidents. It's when you think about a company some kind of a failure. That's of some why sort. employees fail. It's not like someone like who really wants to come in and not do a good job, right? Right. Uh, who yeah. wants to come in and not earn them? There's very few people that really come in and just I would agree want to be a bum, right? Yeah, they, they got families agree. to support. They want to advance their career. They want to make more money. So you know, a lot of times when something goes wrong, we want to place blame. Mm-hmm. Like I, I always joke that. You know, in your case, if an accident happens or something goes wrong and the boss goes, what happened? Mm-hmm. They're playing blame already. Right. What they should say is, is everybody okay? Right. right. That should be the first thing no, out yeah. of their mouth. Is yeah. everybody okay? Right. Okay. Do we need to stop operations? Do we need to, you know, yeah. you know in the military, if there's a, a flying accident, all flying stops till we know what so happened. We, is anybody else in danger? Right. That's a great point. But if you go, what happened or who screwed up? Like you're not focused on the people anymore. Right. 
You know, That's so really you're immediately point. looking to play blame, mm-hmm. the blame game, and then you're definitely not going to say, okay, what did we do wrong? Right. Or how did we fail this person? Yeah. You know, I worked at a company in town. I won't name a name to protect mm-hmm. the innocent or the guilty, <laughs> I should say. Problem. But, yeah. you know, the culture was very much that employee screwed up, mm-hmm. not how did we fail the employee. And it comes back to generally the companies fail their employees because the processes aren't right. Mm-hmm. They didn't train them to it. Or there was never a process in place, and they were just winging it, and, right. and good employees figure things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Wow. That I mean, I'm not sure we're going to be able to cover all this today, man. We might have to do multiples because you, you've touched on so many things that just resonate. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is, um, you know, if, it's a process typically. If we dig deep enough in our investigation, and, you know, those of us that do accident investigations – you know, I, I've looked at hundreds of accident investigations during my time with OSHA, and even as a consultant, when companies do their own internal investigations, and they tend to stop early in the process and focus on the, a failure of the employee. And as you said, they blame the employee. You know, what did you do to correct it? Told the employee not to do that again or whatever. That was their corrective action, you know. Right, because it's easy. And they don't dig deep enough. If they dig deep enough, they're going to find usually a system flaw or a process sure. issue. Right? It, it's too easy to say they screwed up or we're not hiring the right people. Right. I, I, I worked for somebody at one time, and I was really pushing training and education. And I was, it was a VP, and I was told, I don't want to hear any more about education. It's out there. They need to go find it. Or we're just hiring the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And I, I about my head about exploded. Yeah. Right, because employees don't know what they don't know. Like right. you can say, "Go get educated," but okay, what do I learn? What do right. I need to know? Right. And uh, a lot of times, when we when we start to look at where did they screw up, and not say where did we fail them, okay? Because if something happens, first thing you should say is, "Okay, was the process in place? Right. Were they doing it? Did we train them properly?" In, in the military, in the flying world, flying community where I came from. It's very checklist oriented. Mm-hmm. You did not deviate from the checklist. If something went wrong, the first question was, did you do the checklist? Yes. Okay. Is the checklist valid and still correct? Mm-hmm. Like, is it right. still, is it- what has changed? Maybe makes the checklist not right. Mm-hmm. The checklist is still good. Okay. Now what happened? Mm-hmm. If, did you do the checklist? No. Why not? Well, this happened, this happened, here's where I right. deviated. Okay, now we start to understand the situation. Right. Okay, but the question isn't, what did you screw up? It's, okay, let's start looking at the process immediately. Like, okay, did this person get trained? Uh, well, no. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we sat them beside so-and-so, and they showed them how to do it. Well, okay, that could be garbage in, garbage out. Right. Right, and and most, a lot of companies, you know, there's there's what I call tribal knowledge out there. Definitely. Right, you've been here, you've been working there for 20 years. You figure out how to do things that maybe aren't written down or aren't mm-hmm. standard process, but you're not going to necessarily tell anybody right? for a number of reasons, right? Oh, that's very You true. figure out how yeah. to do it. It's job security. Um, mm-hmm. Let them figure it out. Right. You know, I've been here 20 years. I figured it out. I they can figure it out themselves. So, you know, you sit somebody beside someone who's been there for 20 years and on the job training, they're not going to tell them everything. Right. They're not going to tell the rookie everything because that's down. my job. Mm-hmm. And that's how I look good in front of the boss is job security. So, you know, it's like well, I think that's true. Managers too. Sure. I mean, I used to work for a guy. I gosh, maybe I shouldn't go down that road, but I worked for a guy who kept information close to the vest. He wouldn't share information. He was the manager. the The information was was not particularly confidential or secret. I mean, it, it needed to be known by the employees. 
but he felt like that information gave him some level of power or control or something. So he didn't share information well, and it, at all, it caused a lot of turmoil in the office. You know, and, and that's an interesting concept in itself is that there's a lot of leaders and managers that feel they need to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always, for me, myself, I've always said, I don't, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. I should be hiring people that are smarter than me, the subject matter experts. My, my job isn't to be the smartest person in the room. My, my job is to get all the smart people to come together, mm-hmm. right, in a synergistic fashion so that two plus two equals five. Like, my five employees are as powerful as ten. Like, that's what a manager does. Like, right. you get the organization to produce and execute. If you're the smartest guy in the room doing the job, you're not managing anymore. Right. That's a good that's, that's point. That's not your job. Yeah. Like, so if, if you're trying to be the smartest person in the room, one, you're probably not hiring the right people. You're definitely not leading people. Mm-hmm. And now you're setting them up for failure because mm-hmm. you're not educating them. Right. That's an interesting point, man. But but so many, I think there's so much ego involved in that, you know, Managers, they believe that, well, I shouldn't say that. Oftentimes, managers believe they're smarter than you or they should be the smartest or whatever. I see, you know, 25 years in the government, you see that a lot. You know, the managers think they're smarter than the employees. And so they're not listening when the employees are, are offering information or solutions or suggestions. They're not even asking. Or, 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 or they're not asking. Yeah, they don't care necessarily what your opinion is. Right. So going back to your point, when something does happen and you had that attitude, what's your immediate reaction? Well, they, it's their fault. Right. They must have screwed up. Right. Yeah, I see that. All, there, is a, there is a, I don't know if I should even, Louis C.K., you know this comedian Louis absolutely, C.K.? Absolutely. So, I, mean, I know he's, he's kind of controversial, I suppose, as are everyone, I suppose, at this point. But he has a YouTube video where he is, I think it was from a TV show that he did where he's sitting there having breakfast with his daughter, the little girl, and they're eating breakfast and she starts asking him questions and and then she immediately goes into the why, why, as little kids will do. They just keep, you know, the next why. And I use that in training sometimes to emphasize the fact that if you ask, you know, there is a... There's an investigative technique called the five whys that we use. You ask know, you why get, five times, yeah, you'll get there. Ask why. You get to the point, you get to the underlying issues. And so she asks him why, why, why over and over and over again. And eventually you get to the, you know, he's just broken, you know. But um, I think that that has a lot to do with, um, I don't know, I guess, I don't know if that's good leadership or good process or, you know. What well, that, I think a lot of time you mentioned ego and you mentioned you need to be the smartest person in the room. There's a good book out there called Ego is the Enemy. Um, and it, a part that really resonated with me, especially in the military, is like when you're entering the military, you get sold on this idea of duty, honor, country, right? You're doing great things in, in the defense of the nation and for the betterment of the people of the country, this, that, and the other thing. And, and, a lot of t- and in our leadership early on in training, it's service before self, and mm-hmm. you're there for your people. And you need to set your people up for success. But somewhere along the way, we get this notion of I have to be career-minded, right? So we start making decisions in the name of power and greed Mm -hmm. and and personal self-fulfillment. And it's no longer duty on our country. Whether you like it or not, that's what's happening, right? I've always Mm -hmm. joked that every general is really a politician, Mm -hmm. right? You didn't yeah. get there by helping everybody else out right. in most cases, right? right? So, and I think the same thing applies in, in the corporate world as well, that early managers may come out truly being good managers and do good things for their people. But at some point, they want to start climbing the ladder, 
Mm-hmm. So you start making decisions that mm-hmm. benefit you the most. Right. Right. Yeah, you start true. taking your eye off your own yeah. people and you're no mm-hmm. longer really there. You're just doing what's best for you. What's going to make you look best. And you'll throw people under the bus mm-hmm. or you'll point the finger when something goes wrong. And, and I think there, there's a mind shift change that that's critical and dangerous in a company mm-hmm. because, you know, now you start to get that toxic culture. Now you start to get those people that I need to be the smartest in the room. It's never my fault. Right. Or, right. or they'll do this the opposite. They'll start to micromanage because they want to be controlling of everything because oh, yeah. they don't want to look bad. Right. Yeah, absolutely, because it's a reflection of them, and so absolutely. they want to make sure everything is in their favor. Oh, man, there, there's so much in there to unpack, man. But um, So from a leadership standpoint and a safety standpoint, um, can you, I mean, are leaders born? Can you become a better leader? I mean, are there are there ways to improve as uh, a I, leader? I mean, I there's mean, definitely an education process, and, and I think everybody has their own leadership style. You, you can you they're have, not all to, this, you have not to learn to be style. a good leader, right? right? You have to get out there and cut your teeth and learn to be a good leader. It's like being a parent. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, there's no manual on parenting that's 100 percent right. a home run. Right. You, know, you you go from your experience, you know, from your own parents, and you go, well, I definitely don't want to be like that, or right. I want to be exactly like that. Or you see your friends' parents, and you know, I like to be like that parent. Mm-hmm. And then you go in there with a great plan and idea, and it blows up in your face, and you learn from it, and right. you soldier on. Uh, classic case was that this week. You know, my daughter's 11 years old, mm-hmm. and it's Christmas time, and this topic of Santa is getting sketchy. Uh huh. Right? Does she believe? Doesn't she believe? And yeah. she was still in it, but she started asking questions. And she's in sixth grade, seventh grade. So you know how preteens can be towards each other. So, you know, we were stuck. Like, do we break the news or uh-huh. do we let her get embarrassed at school? She's got a younger brother. Yeah. And uh, we ended up, we got this book that you read with your kid. And it slowly breaks the idea that mm-hmm. there is no Santa everybody's right. Santa and now right. it's on you to be Santa as well. Mm-hmm. And as we're reading the book, she made some comments and I'm like, we're in trouble because she was still full on believing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is going to blow up in her face. And it, and it did. Oh. We got through the book and yeah. she seemed okay. And then she put her, her yeah. face in her hands and started crying. Oh, and I man. was like, we could have probably waited a year. <laughs> oh. Right. And yeah, uh, it's like that. the worst parenting yeah. moment on the planet. Like I just, you know, you just destroyed her innocence oh, as man. a kid. And I think she's still in denial a little bit. Yeah. And she still keeps, that's not true. I don't believe you, you know. And okay, fine. We're going to roll with it at this point. Yeah. Um, but it, I think leadership's the same way. Like you go right. out there and, and you put yourself out there and you, and you try some things and it might blow up on you. Mm-hmm. But the key is to not be so egotistical and to say, well, it wasn't me. Or, you know, take failure and learn from it. And, and move on from there, right? right. And, and and get better at it and be willing to try things and have some humility that, you know, you're not flawless. Right. Okay. No doubt. By 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 no means is am I, am I perfect and I'm gonna screw up, but as long as I'm getting better from it, your employees will yeah. understand, right? So you know guys, I screwed up. I mean, how many guys have you worked for or women have you worked for in which you know I screwed up, that was on me. Like how often do you hear that? And that is very rare in my world. Very unusual. Right. That's, that's me. I'll take that yeah. one. I screwed up. Uh, right. Okay, let's let's fix this and go on. Right. Well, that would be, uh, I mean, that would be remarkable. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard that necessarily. Well, I, I take that back. I've worked, I've worked for some exceptional managers and others that I just, you know, their style didn't jive necessarily with what I would envision, you know, as a manager or leader. You know, I guess we all kind of, we see things in managers or leaders. Okay, yeah, I would do that. I wouldn't do that. I mean, you know, that's probably very typical. And the, there's no, as you said, there's no one right way to do that. 
I, I think the parenting analogy is really a good analogy, though. And if you were do, and you see this all the time now. I mean, if you're doing things truly for the in the best interest of your children versus doing things that will make you look good as a parent, right? You know, and you see that constantly. Parents that are doing things for their children, and I think so that they can take credit for it, or they can say, look, stroking themselves. "Look what a wonderful parent I am," right. you know. And I see that. I am a, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. There's a guy named John Rosemond who was a syndicated columnist, parenting guy, psychologist. He is old school, man. And he is, you know, the, you know, he is kind of from the uh, children should be seen and not heard <laughs> generation, right. you know, yeah. kind of like my, how, how my we were dad parented. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we read that. My wife and I read this all the time. She leaves them out for me. They'll be on the counter when I get home from work. Great Rosemond this week. And it's all that, uh, you know, um, don't do, you know, don't do these things for your personal glorification, you know, just do the right thing for the kid. Right. Uh, ultimately. And it, and it works. And I think, you know, management is much like that, I suppose. Well, and, and coaching is, is the same way and teaching as well. Like we know not everybody learns the same way. Mm-hmm. Like we, we know yeah. that. Right. And, and when you're trying to teach groups of people, I know there's going to be a certain percentage of people that just aren't going to get it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you know, you got tactile learners, you got visual right. learners, auditory yeah, learners, true. you got people that can only learn by doing, you got people that can learn by reading and they'll absorb it. Uh, you got people that are, you know, more analytical, can figure things out. Mm-hmm. You got other people that are more literal. Like I know when I'm sitting in a classroom at UNO, I know just by default, there's a certain percentage of kids that aren't going to get it. There's a certain percentage, I don't even have to say a damn thing, they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a certain percentage that in the process of me teaching, they're going to come around to it. Okay, yeah. uh, it's just the nature of the beast when you're teaching groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is I only have a certain amount of time with them. I got two, two and a half hours a week. Right. And I got to cram an entire book's worth in a semester. Yeah. Uh, in, in my gym, at the martial arts gym, I tend to see people more every day and I interact with them more every day mm-hmm. and I can start to see now how they learn, mm-hmm. especially with my little kids, right? And then that's a whole different issue, teaching a four-year-old and teaching a 40-year-old are two different things, right. Right? right? But when you're around people more every day, you now start to see how they learn and you start to tailor better. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the segue, leadership, as you're around people more, you'll learn how to lead everybody differently within your organization. Some people you come in and shout at and that resonates and they can... Mm-hmm. They'll perk right. up and soldier on. Some people need to stroke a little bit. Some people need to sit down and explain mm-hmm. three different ways, right? Some people you can show once or you can say, hey, can you do this for me? Yep, got, got it, no mm-hmm. problem. Some people are already going to do it because they take initiative and they're going to start doing things before you even ask to do it because right. they're go-getters, right. they're hard chargers, they're going to be doing it anyway. Yeah, right. we, we've already been doing that. You're like, oh, cool. And we tap into those people a lot. We enlist them in our committees and our programs and they do things because you know they're going to go above and beyond. Right. That's just the nature of their personality. Right. And, and, and we tend to want to promote those people, but at the same time, you can't ignore everybody else because they're valuable right. as well. Right. That, that, you know, is it, I guess, you know, I have had uh, managers in the past who treated everyone the same. And I think that's and, dangerous. It's very dangerous. And the results are very limited. You know, I mean, the sure. outcomes are limited because I think it is just like kids. I've got two sons and I, and I parent them differently. I mean, you know, under the same umbrella, I mean, nobody's getting, you know, you know, extremely different treatment. I mean, the expectations are the same. Sure. But the way that you interact with them is different because they're so different. Their personalities are so different. And you have to know where to put people mm-hmm. to be productive. Like, what, what's your, I go back to what's your job as a manager and a leader? It's production. It's mm-hmm. to get people to produce mm-hmm. and, and the organization to execute. 
Well, part of that's putting people in the right place and setting them up for success. Wow, that's true. Right, yeah. and understanding how they need to be led, how they need to be coached. Some people, they need to be in a cubicle and left alone, and they're going to produce like bonkers. Mm -hmm. And they're going to do leave great work. Yep. They don't do well with a lot of change. They don't do a, give them a, set, a checklist and procedures, and they're going to knock it out, and they're going to be a workhorse for you. Mm -hmm. Some people can fly by the seat of their pants. They love mm -hmm. chaos. They can they can deal with things happening on the fly, and they thrive in that environment. Like you can't put them in the same job, mm -hmm. right? If you switch either of them, they'll fail, right? Right, and and you don't know that you can't do that if you're treating everybody the same or you're trying to lead everybody right. the same. It's like we're in a media room right now, right? Even in this industry, there are people who are good at the tech side of it. There are people good at producing. There are people good at bringing in ideas and making mm -hmm. a show better. There are people just just leave me alone and let me edit. Right, and they're right. and they're geniuses at it. They sure. can they can make a bunch of goofballs so, like us sound like rock stars. You know, right. <laughs> right. right? You can't put them all. You can't treat them all the same. Right, but. I think that there, there, the old school managers did oftentimes, maybe there were exceptions to that, who understood the importance of, you know, playing to the strengths and weaknesses, identifying the weaknesses, playing to the strengths of their employees, rather than trying to shove everybody into the same, you know, box or, you know, the round peg, square hole, whatever the deal is, you know, right. I mean, I, I can remember that was kind of the, the technique, at least within the government back in the day. Everybody was kind of expected to do the same thing. You know, even with OSHA, we had guys with OSHA that had, you know, certain uh, expertise. And they wanted to do certain types of inspections. They did certain types of inspections well. Um, they liked that. But uh, we weren't always allowed necessarily to to um, gravitate to the things that we enjoyed or did well, we were kind of expected to, regardless, you know, you're going to do this or that. And and you could see the negative impact that it had on the employees and their productivity. You know, right. when you're forcing them into something that is either uncomfortable or maybe they're uh, uncertain about, you know, they're less confident in, you know. Yeah, and, and I think, seemed, you know, when we had the tech boom and now you're starting to see a lot of, uh, especially in that sector, the small IT companies, they've almost swung so far to the other side. It's like, mm -hmm. there's no rules, do what you want. As <laughs> right. long as your work's done, we're good. And, and But and then you tend to see a lot of turnover as well. And then, you know, how productive are people being? That That's tough to put a, a number yeah. and a value it on and a metric on. You know, it's different. just trying to find, I think each industry, you know, you have to figure out the, the mm -hmm. niche and each industry is different. Obviously you can't lead the same way in every industry and the environments aren't going right. to work the same in every industry. You know, you're in a production plant mm -hmm. uh, where it's just working the press nine to five. Like that's a different mentality than right. an IT company that's got wide open floor space and ping pong tables and mm -hmm. foosball everywhere. Right. You know, and they got napping areas. Ner nerf, nerf basketball. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so that, that's a really interesting point. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to read you something. I, I, you know, I've mentioned Paul O'Neill before, the the former CEO of Alcoa. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of his, and he was kind of a just a hardcore safety advocate when he was at Alcoa. He said a few things, and I'm going to just throw those out, and just, I just like your comments on them. Because at first, when I heard him say these things, I thought, oh, that seems pretty unrealistic. But he said, in any organization that has a true potential for greatness, there are typically three things you know that, that are common. And so the first one is, uh, he's asking about the employees. Are you treated with dignity and respect every day by everyone you encounter? That would be the first element of, a, of an organization that is true potential for greatness. 
And he was his comment was, you know, the CEO and the hourly employee on the line, is everybody treated with dignity and respect? And is it, he goes, you can just stand at the front desk and as these people are coming in, just see how they're treated. I thought, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's pretty unrealistic that, you know, not everybody's not kissing the CEO's ass and, you know, and just kind of ignoring the hourly employee. But the more I've thought about that as I go through the facilities that I'm visiting and working with as a consultant, you can see that. I mean, there, there's obviously that that uh, the hierarchy, but that doesn't mean that people that are at the lower end of that scale aren't treated with dignity and respect. Right. You know, I, I teach a management class at UNO, and it's funny you say that. I said, if there's one thing that holds true to take from this class, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what management style you choose to do, no matter who you encounter, treat someone with dignity and respect, mm-hmm. and you generally will not go wrong. Mm-hmm. No matter how bad the you're firing somebody, uh, you're having an argument mm-hmm. uh, in the boardroom, or I shouldn't say an argument, a a dissension of ideas, right. whatever it happens to be, you agree to disagree. You treat people with dignity and respect, everybody walks away from the conversation, uh, not necessarily feeling good about it, but at least feeling that, okay, I was treated like a professional. Right. I was treated like a human being. It was at least a positive experience. It was a positive a, experience. Right. You know, the whole idea of not burning a bridge doesn't mean sever ties. It just means let everybody leave with a positive mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. You don't have to agree. Uh, it could end up being a net result of a loss at the end of the day, but you treat people with dignity and respect. It, and I think just in general in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, exactly. that's, that's the thing I think our society has a problem with right now. Oh, no doubt. You, you look at all our issues, agree. our gender issues, our sexism, and whatever ism you want to talk about, it, it, it's just a lack of manners mm-hmm. and dignity and, just and respect. Just have decency. some manners mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Right. And I think that goes so far. In an or- and that's a culture, right? right? No doubt. That's a culture, and that's a tone that a leader will set and a manager will set that if everybody sees you, no matter what mm-hmm. the situation, no matter who it is, the worker bee to the mm-hmm. king dingling, if you're treating everybody with dignity and respect, they will mimic that, right? Uh, They're looking at you to set the tone, right? And how you act—that's a great point. You bet, believe that's how that's gonna that that's gonna set the tone. That's gonna yeah. permeate. And that's how everybody will start treating each other. That, that that is really a great point. I mean, when I was working for the the. Uh, Defense Logistics Agency. I was an entry-level industrial hygienist. I was a nobody. And uh, one of my accounts was DFAS, Defense Finance and Accounting Service. They had a huge facility in Columbus, Ohio. They were one of the uh, entities that I served as an as a industrial hygienist, as a safety person. And I can remember they had, a, they had an issue. Some employees were concerned about something, air quality or something like that. We went over and I did the investigation. And I was reporting to... I was asked to go speak to the director of the this center. He was like a GM fifteen or an SES. I mean, he was senior executive. He was the highest ranking, right. you know, civilian government employee in the state of Ohio. And you know, I went into his office and, um, gosh, I introduced myself. I gave him my report. He said thank you. And every time I saw him after that, he would call me by name. I you know, I mean, either he had incredible memory or it meant enough to him to at least know who I was, that impressed me so much. To this day, I mean, 30 years later, I still think back on that and think, that was so impressive 
something simple as knowing somebody's name in my entrepreneur mm-hmm. class. I, I talk about networking. I preach networking and cause we know relationships are the foundation of business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, don't, I always tell people, don't go grab a business card, learn somebody's name mm-hmm. because when you run into them six months later, you go, Hey Doug, how's it going? Mm-hmm. How's that kickboxing thing you were talking about going? It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Okay. And, and for, I mean, I worked for a company where, the boss, hey, guy. <laughs> right. Like, I've been here two years, and that fool still doesn't know my <laughs> right. name. Like, he n- recognizes yeah. me, but he's like, hey, guy, have a good day. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, my God. You just want to be like, you just want to yeah. flip him off. Um, <laughs> in, in my class, it was pretty funny. I took a course, a Gracie Survival Tactics course uh, up at Metro University, mm-hmm. and it was law enforcement, military only. And I got in because, because being military. And the guy that came, Evandro, Brazilian guy, there was I want to say 80 people in this class. And by the end of the first day, you know, he was walking around, meeting everybody, learning everybody's names. Hey, I'm Andrew, I'm Aaron, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And he'd walk around, and every time he would see you, he would look at you and go and try to remember your name. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, he put everybody in a circle, and he goes, okay, let's see if I can do this. And he looked at everybody and pointed at them and said their name. Wow. Right? Because yeah, he probably did class after class after class. It impressed me this. so much. I was like, I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. So I was teach. I had teach a summer session uh, that this past summer mm-hmm. at UNO. I was like, I'm going to learn everybody's name. So I, I, with every class, I make them stand up, introduce themselves, blah blah blah. Sure. blah. And then I have the roster in front of me, so I'm putting a face to a name, putting a face to a name. And the next day, I go, okay, let's see if I can do it. And I went around the room, named everybody's names, and it blew their mind. Mm-hmm. And now uh, this past semester was a little more of a challenge because I had three classes, so oh, I yeah. had 140 kids. And I pulled it off. You were able to. I manage. pulled it off. Oh, that's impressive. Uh, by the second class. But that was intent. I mean, because you Full knew the intent, importance of right? it and you intended to and, do and it. And nothing. Think about this. If you're sitting in class and a professor can look at you and go, Doug, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, it puts him on the spot a little bit. But right. now it's like, okay, he values me as a person. But that level he of knows intimacy, my intimacy name, is so different. Right, knows my name. And, and think about this from a, a safety perspective. If you've got an environment of dignity and respect, are your employees more or less likely to come to you with a problem? Oh, without question. Do you have a true open door? I always ask this. Is it a, they say open door policy, but is it really open? Mm-hmm. Or is there an invisible barrier that knocks you in the head when you try to walk right. in, right? Right. So if you create an environment like this, a culture like this of dignity and respect, and I know your name, and I truly want to know what you hear, who's going to come to you with problems? We, we all know this. You're a fool if you don't think your employees are covering up safety violations. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Because they don't want to get in trouble. Right. Don't let the boss see that. Quick, pick that up. Don't let them see it. Right. If you change the environment, because that's probably a blame game environment, you're going to get in trouble. That's why I don't mm-hmm. want to tell you. Mm-hmm. But if you create an environment where people feel comfortable, that they can come to you and say something and make suggestions, now all of a sudden employees go, hey, boss, you know, I've been noticing everybody keeps dropping the damn wrench off the scaffold. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should think of like a tethering device for some right. of these heavier tools. Yeah. Right? A boss that doesn't act like that goes, what do you mean you've been dropping it? How many mm-hmm. times have you dropped it? Mm-hmm. I told you not to drop I it. To- right? And <laughs> right? it's like, oh, wow, that's a good idea. That's Let's good. think about this. And now think about it. When, when they're coming to you with these ideas, right, are they going to be more or less accepting of change? Right, most employees are resistant to change. Right, no, we don't no like doubt. change as humans. We don't like change. Well, when you dictate change, to when you them. dictate change now, but if the change is coming from them, right, it's their change. How quickly are you going to get buy-in? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Right? And, and now think about your incident rates. How how quick are your incident rates are going to down? They're going to start holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Hey, watch out for that. Hey, make sure your hard hat's on. Don't step mm-hmm. over that line. Hey, get the tether on. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they're going to start policing each other and holding each other accountable. Not quick, quick that up. Don't Which, let the boss see it. You know, for, and, and in the safety world, that is exactly where you want to be. Because you can't be out there, obviously, and you don't want to be policing. I mean, the whole policing approach to safety is horrible. You want them coming to you with problems. Exactly. Hey, boss, we have, we have a potential safety issue. Right. Or, hey, we saw this happen. Here's how we fixed it. Well, you were telling me a story earlier before we got started about that, the owner of that company who was mopping oh. the floor, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, Shields. My buddy, um, Jared Roberts, uh, he's a, a, a product rep, and one of his clients was Shields. He was up in Fargo at the headquarters and had a, had a, a meeting and uh, he walked. It was winter. He walked in, and and the entry was just dirty and messy. Mm-hmm. And he and there was an, an older gentleman mopping. And Jerry goes, "Oh, excuse me." Walks around and goes to the to the assistant. And says, "Hey, I have a meeting." Blah blah blah. And she goes, "Well, that's Mister Shield right there." Mm-hmm. Mop on the floor. What? Here's a guy worth what hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Uh, and he's mopping the floor. And it, mm-hmm. you ask yourself why, and it's it needed to be done. Mm-hmm. He wasn't above himself. Right. To mop the foyer of his own headquarters. He could have easily said, hey, have somebody clean that up. Right. right? And it's what I preach to people. Don't step over the dead body. Mm-hmm. If it needs to be done, do it. Right. If everybody steps over the dead body, then there's no ownership. That is, that is such ever an important anywhere. concept in the safety world, too. If it's something that you can address right now and doesn't need to be escalated or passed off to someone else, just take care of it. Maybe we need to do something to try to ensure that it doesn't happen again. You know, maybe there needs to be, as you said earlier, maybe we need to tweak the process a little bit or whatever. But just to walk past the stuff, you know, and expect someone else to address it is. Um, and then or leave it for the next person. It's not my responsibility. Right. Well, it's not my responsibility. Right. Oh, my gosh. If you can get people to the point where they're just they're just fixing things. Oh, I saw it, so I addressed it. You know, it's being a business owner. It's like you're always on your head's on a swivel. You're always fixing stuff, right. and it's funny because I'll be out somewhere and I'll be at a restaurant and I'll come back out and I'll grab the manager and go, "Hey, man, the toilet's running in there." Mm-hmm. They look at you like, "What the what the <laughs> hell?" And I'm like, "I'm just letting you know the toilet's running." You know, I might mm-hmm. want to send some. I know a hundred people have probably gone on and not seen said yeah. a thing. Their employees have seen it, didn't just say a thing. It's like, yeah. I just want you to know the toilet's running back there, or the sink's busted, or or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're out of paper towels. Right. Oh, thanks, man. I'll take care of it. Yeah. How many people saw it and didn't say a word mm-hmm. to that person? Yeah. No and, and now, you know. And so, like, but getting them to that point, getting your employees to that point is is a lot of what we've already talked about. They hold dignity, respect. Um, people that are treated that way are much more likely to. They don't feel safe. Yeah. Here we are talking about safety. So how do you raise the safety record of your company? Make your employees feel safe. Mm-hmm. And by safe, I mean they can come to you with anything mm-hmm. without fear right. of repercussion. Right. Not fear of, you did what? Well, I'm going to reprimand you. And I'm going to mm-hmm. write you up. And this is your one and two more you're going to get fired. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, th- thanks for bringing that to my attention. Thank you. Seriously, Absolutely. thank you. What can we do to fix it? What can what, we do to yeah. fix it? Do you have any suggestions? I mean, mm-hmm. real suggestions. And this is how you pull that tribal knowledge I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, John, you've been here for 30 years. I mm-hmm. mean, well, how can I make your life better? Like, yeah. What would you different to make to do different to make mm-hmm. your life better? And you're like, well, you know what? I don't know why we fill this thing up all the time because it doesn't get used, mm-hmm. and and we move everything over here, and it's just a waste of time because I got to move it back. It's like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. exactly. That that okay. So that leads me right to the next number two. Follow Neil number two. 
Are you given what you need, whether that be tools or encouragement, training, whatever, so that you can make a contribution that gives meaning to your life? And again, when I'm, you know, the plants that I go into, these are, you know, these are manufacturing facilities. There are people on a line that are making widgets all day, every day, or whatever they do. They're in food processing or manufacturing or something. Just mon- mundane work. They're fairly right? mundane work. Yeah, repetitive, mundane work. And I, and I thought, gosh, that's a lot to ask. But it's truly not when you get right down to it. I mean, if people understand why they do what, you know, the purpose of what they're doing and, and the benefits of what they're doing. And I mean, you don't have to necessarily probably jump up and down and, you know, clap that you're going into work every day, but to have some idea of purpose is, you know, everybody has is capable of having that uh, concept or having that feeling that their work is, has some value. And I guess when you have that feeling you know, it makes the work so much. It's what more they call. Positive. It's what they call the why. You know, Simon mm-hmm. Sinek mm-hmm. has a book out mm-hmm. called "Start with Why." Oh yeah, and and it's it's amazing the number of employees that don't understand the why. Like, why are they there? Mm-hmm. Well, I run the press. No, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Well, I do it like this. No, that's how you do it. But why are you there? What is your role in the bigger picture of this whole thing? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's where people find purpose. Like, what's your role in the bigger picture? And, and why do we value you? Mm-hmm. Right, wow. essentially. That's, right? that's huge. And why do, yeah. we, like, why do I need you here? Oh, you pay me 10 bucks an hour to run the press. No, that, that's not why. Mm-hmm. Here's what's happening, and here's how you play a role in the bigger right. picture. And here's how we, why we can produce such a great product and get it to, to market in a way that the company is viable and growing. And, and, if, and this is why doing your job is so important at mm-hmm. a high quality level, because if that doesn't happen, the entire process starts to break down right. and quality always ends up touching the customer mm-hmm. at some mm-hmm. point. Exactly. That's why you as the janitor are so important. Yeah. And, and so it's the why piece that I think, because it takes time and effort for a manager or a leader mm-hmm. to do that. Right. Like, why do we have all these safety standards? Like it works so much done faster. Okay, well, let's talk about this. Here's why it's important. I think that, okay, that and is, here, and yes. here's why it's important to you specifically. Mm-hmm. Here's how it benefits you. A lot of times we will make change. Oh, here comes another change, and nobody takes the time to explain. Here's why this change is important to you. Mm-hmm. Here's how. Here's why it's going to make your life better. Oh, yeah. okay, that makes yeah. sense to me now. Instead of just shut up and color and do it because I said yeah, so. No doubt. And and I think that to this point is that's part of setting people up for success. Mm-hmm. Is they understand why they're there. They understand they have purpose. Right. And yeah, they're just a press operator, but do they only have to be a press? Op- have you ever talked to that person and found out, well, what else are they good at? Mm-hmm. What are some hidden talents? And can we make this person part of a flexible workforce? Meaning, well, instead of just running the press, can you run these five other stations so that you're not running the press all the time? Maybe you run the press for two weeks and you run this other station for two weeks. And so we can move you around a little bit. So it's not so mundane. Right. And now you can contribute in different ways. And now you're understanding the business more from different angles mm-hmm. and you can contribute more. Right. Because people want to contribute anyway. Absolutely. And now you're valued more. You feel valued more because now I'm giving you more responsibility. And you're doing more mm-hmm. things. Opportunity. You're moving potential. around. Right. right. Well, that, it's that, growth. That is a huge concept too, man. I think, oh my gosh, that's, <laughs> wow. The whole why of, and, and as you said, I, I think oftentimes the problem is that we ask so much of our frontline supervision, 
you know, they're responsible for the employees. They're responsible for absenteeism and tardiness and all of those things. They're responsible for product getting out the door. Ultimately, well, they're, they're just putting out fires. They're putting out fires typically throughout the day. And and if we gave them an opportunity to be able to do that and and teach them how to do that, they probably don't. It's probably not inherent that they know how important the why is. And that's the and that's the bridge between management and leadership. Like the manager is just orchestrating, putting out fires, trying to get things done, making sure people show back up for work, making right. sure you know, and and just and just making things happen, and they never get to bridge that gap to be a leader, mm-hmm. right? Where whereas the leader starts being able to explain the purpose and the why, and starts to motivate people, and starts mm-hmm. to give people reason to be there, and it's not, I'm telling you to do something; it's you're doing it because you want to, mm-hmm. right? right? You're showing up because you want to, not because I'm making you. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't have to ask you. You're, just, right. you're doing it. Right. right? They're yeah, doing that it. is huge. Wow. That is okay. Here's number three. This is a short one. You get recognized for what you do in, in whatever capacity recognized. I mean, that can be some type of uh, incentive or a re- award of some sort, or it could simply just be thank you. You know, I, I it, it is so powerful to have a, a manager or a leader even say nice job. Or thank you. We tend to just dwell on the negatives and uh, why didn't you or how come this isn't or whatever. Just, you know, any form of recognition. Um, I think I think uh, employees appreciate that so much. Well, it goes back to just learning their name as recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that you're not just a number, you're a valued employee. But this is a double-edged sword, right? Because uh, a lot of people... Good job, that a boy, mm-hmm. right? And, that, and that gets people motivated to a point, right? It, it's this argument of effort versus results, mm-hmm. right? Because if you start telling people, good job, way to go, and they're not producing, now you're recognizing their effort and the effort, mm-hmm. oh, you're working hard, you tried really hard, good job. Mm-hmm. You tried your best, good job. Well, well, no, we came up short, mm-hmm. and we need to produce at some point. So so there's a, there's a fine line there where... Yes, I agree. Recognition is huge, but what do you recognize mm-hmm. is key here. Yeah. Right? It's it's Ooh, key, right? Point. Because okay, in sales it's easy. The high performers, the per- people that are getting the numbers, people that are selling, people that are bringing it in, okay? Well, Johnny, you, you tried really hard. I'm keep keep up the good work. And it's mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's like, well, you're not selling. Mm-hmm. Like you're not producing, but you're reinforcing that. But I'm, but I'm reinforcing. It's okay just to try mm-hmm. hard, mm-hmm. and it's okay not to produce at the same time. Right. That's a so, good point. So there's a there's a dilemma there, right? It's a catch yeah. twenty two for a manager and a leader. It's what do you recognize and wow. what do you praise? Because now you get people just showing up, and as long as they think I'm trying hard, I'm going to be okay. I'm still going to be getting paid. But now that could be detrimental mm-hmm. to the company and to the organization, yeah. right? It's like who's really producing who's really bringing value to the company and who's just taking up space. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, that so I agree point. 100%. Recognition is huge, and that goes back to but, the dignity and respect thing. Yeah, but and your point about what you recognize, it's like what you measure. I mean, you are going to get whatever you measure. You know, we talk about indicators in the same, you know, lagging indicators, leading indicators, all of these different indicators. And I guarantee you I can get you whatever you want you know, if this is what we're going to measure, we can get that. Statistics. I can make it read whatever yeah, I want. Absolutely. Right. And, and there's also false metrics out there too. Oh, no doubt. And, and just bad information mm-hmm. and bad data that if you're not yeah. careful, leads you down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the note, and and I'd not really considered that recognition piece, but as you, as you describe it, and I think about it, you're absolutely right. You have to be careful what you recognize, um, for fear of reinforcing something that you don't actually want. That that is a huge. And then you could also sour idea. the people that are really performing, mm-hmm. right? I'm okay. over here busting my butt, <laughs> right. and I'm bringing it in, and then yeah, umpty fronts over here gets recognized like. I'm like, well, what, so, what the hell is going on? You know, and so, so, so now the, you potentially sour me because I'm going to stop oh, trying. No well, so in the defense logistics, the government is just notorious for this. Oh, Jesus. So in, in the defense logistics agency, they would give us these, they were called SSPs, sustained superior performance. And that would be a, a small monetary uh, award, maybe over a quarter for good performance. Well, the, when I was first introduced to this, I thought, oh, hey, Doug, you got this SSP for for your work contribution this past one, I was like, well, that's awesome. And then I would watch my coworkers who did absolutely nothing the entire quarter get the same SSP. And I'm thinking, what the hell was that? And, uh, you know, after two quarters of that, you're like, well, this is okay. I'll take my $200, but this is meaningless. You know, well, because I, I, everybody's getting same it. Same way, you know, in, in the military, when you're getting promotions, like you're all doing the same work yet. You'll get rack and stacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you, oh, this is my number one guy. This is an number ten guy. We do the same thing. Mm-hmm. How, he's not. He's not doing office work better than I am. Like he doesn't. He <laughs> right? doesn't like what? What do you mean? You know, he's a better yeah. staff. Like he staffs. Like well, I don't get it. Like he staffs better. He can do paperwork faster than me. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't understand how how we're racking and stacking mm-hmm. people. And so it, it, you, can get, you can get jaded really quick. Yeah, it's no doubt. like well, and that's even more dangerous because jading your high performers is got to be worse than. You know, upsetting your low performers because they didn't get some, re- isn't it? I mean, yeah. Is that a you true know, Cy Wakeman, who, who's from town here mm-hmm. in Ralston, um, you know, she's got that real reality based mm-hmm. leadership, and she talks about playing favorites. And you know, at this day and age, everybody's equal. We can't play favorites. Got to treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. And, and she and I agree with her. She says, "No, I don't have to play favorites. The market doesn't play favorites. Right? The market's brutal." The market says if, if you're not on your game, you're going to lose and the mm-hmm. competitor is going to beat you. So if the market doesn't play favorites, why should I play? And I'm playing in that game. Why do I have to play favorites inside my company? So it's kind of like you're a high performer. I'm going to reward you. You're not a high performer. I'm not going to reward you. Well, that's not fair. Well, become a high performer. Right, right. That's the reality of it. And that's Absolutely. the reality of it. So I recognize you. I value the effort you're putting in. Mm-hmm. But it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. I, I need results. At at some point, mm-hmm. I need results. Going going back to right at the beginning of, of this podcast, it's like, hey, you had a lot of opportunity to learn today. Mm-hmm. But if you don't put any of that in action and create results, it's worthless. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, at the end right. of the day, it's worthless. Exactly. So you know, yes, you got to recognize people, but recognize the right people, and the others are, hey, either, hey, this is the standard. Mm-hmm. either you figure it out and get on the bus or we have to have a different discussion mm-hmm. and that's okay. Right. You're not a bad person. Mm-hmm. You just can't perform in this environment. Mm-hmm. It and is I what think, it is. And, and part of that is establishing clear expectations. So the employees understand what those expectations are so that they can either get on board or not. But I, I, I see that a lot in the safety world that the expectations are not clearly defined and communicated and people are confused by that, and so they don't necessarily perform to the level. And we, we want to want. fault them for and it. And we want to fault them for it, but it's basically us have not having 
you know, um, establish those expect, expectations right. clearly. It goes back we to may not even establish know what our them and manage are. to them. Exactly. Right? And it goes back to the original discussion we had. Did I set mm-hmm. them up for failure? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, they messed up. Well, did they understand mm-hmm. clearly? Did I, right. did I say it clearly? Yeah. You know, when I, when I teach martial arts, I've been in classes, like I swear to God, it's so funny. Um, teaching is one of the best things you can do to find out how much you really don't know. Mm-hmm, of course. When you try to teach something. Yeah. I've been in classes where, where I taught something and I'm like, what the heck? Nobody's getting it. <laughs> right. And then I stop for a second and I go, oh, I taught that completely wrong. Mm-hmm. That's why they're yeah. not getting it. Yeah. Like I completely screwed that yeah. up. Mm-hmm. I Initially I wanted to go, they can't be all this stupid. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, of course. And then, and then right. but then I'm like, okay, that that's on me. Yeah. I, I just came about, they didn't understand. I can't fault them for that. I completely, all right, guys, stop. Hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me teach us a different way. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, then the light bulb's now gone. But that goes back right. to keeping your ego out of it. You know, I mean, if you're, if it's an ego driven thing, you're going to, the blame is going to be on them. You will never get back to the point where you admit that perhaps it was. But you. we've all done it, right? We've all like, mm-hmm. how hard is this? Why can't you understand? Mm-hmm. Like we've even said it to our kids. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, why yeah, don't you? Just because time. I understand it doesn't mean they do. Right. But it's my job to get them to understand. Right. Right. It doesn't right. matter yeah. whether I think it's easy or not. If I can't get them to understand it, I'm failing. Right. Them. And our employees are the same way. And I'm failing them if yeah. I can't get that. If I can't figure that right. out now. Yeah. Let's call a spade a spade. Some just aren't going to get it. Mm-hmm. And that's where you got to go, okay, this, this isn't the environment from you. Right. right. It is what it is. But right. how do you progress a company? How do you progress a culture? Like you have to set a standard and hold people's feet to the fire mm-hmm. at some point. No doubt. At some point you got to do it. Yeah. We talk about accountability a lot and um, we, we have to hold people accountable at all levels. Right. I mean, that was one of the things I was most impressed by when Paul O'Neill was talking was when they'd had that fatality in one of their uh, Alcoa facilities got all the upper level management guys together. And basically uh, when they'd, they'd, they'd done their kind of their causal factor analysis, basically Paul O'Neill, the CEO stood up and said, I killed this guy because I failed to communicate to my subordinates or, you know, my uh, managers, my expectations for safety and how this was going to, you know, so it, it wasn't just the folks at the plant level, you know, that frontline supervisor that allowed the guy to do something inappropriate or, you know, uh, you know, deviate from the process, you know, it was all the way to the top. And I, and I think there are very few managers that are willing to accept that level of accountability. And then there's a second level to that. Like, it's easy to say, yep, this is my responsibility, but then what are you going to do about it? Right. What, yeah, are, what are you going to no change to prevent that from happening again? Is it weekly standups? Mm-hmm. Is it following through? Mm-hmm. Is it... Hey, okay, here's what I want. Let's not make this happen again. Come back to me in a week. I want to know what's we're doing different. Right. Right? Like what's the follow through? Like it's easy to talk about it, but are you actually taking action? Like a, a plan is great. Everybody likes to make plans. Everybody likes to plan a business, mm-hmm. but very few people can do it, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know what? I failed this company. Uh, this is on me. Okay, now what's changing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, no doubt. And usually nothing. <laughs> right. Usually nothing Cause, changes. Because talk is cheap, right? Say, talk yeah, is cheap. Exactly. It's lip service. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's lip service, but it's like, okay, well, let me see it now. Like, yeah. let me see it. And that's probably more frustrating to employees than ever when you have a manager come out, we need to be safer. This can't happen again. Yeah. And then the door slams and you never see him. It's like, okay, what's changed? Mm-hmm. Like, you said all the words. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when we send employees off to conferences and they come back with all the new words and new stuff, and then after a week it disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And we're we're going to be lean. We're going <laughs> to do Six Sigma. We're going to be safer. And then rah, rah, you have a couple meetings. You, you chant it a couple times. You put the posters up, and then that's it. <laughs> that's exactly right. right? Oh and you never God. hear another word about it again. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, when I was with OSHA, we, we used to go to the OSHA Training Institute up in uh, Chicago. They had a all the compliance staff and the other folks would go to this training institute. It was usually a bunch of kind of out of the field now um, compliance officers who'd been promoted into these training uh, positions. And you would, you would go learn something new and you, you, you know, a week or two on accident investigation, or <clears throat> you would come back to the office and you'd be all excited, as you said. And I can remember on more than one occasion getting back to the office and saying, Oh my God, man, this is fantastic. The information was great. And then uh, we don't do that here, Doug, <laughs> you know, and you're like, what? Why, why bother sending me? Why bother, you know, going through all this if we're not going to do that here? Well, we just we just don't do that here. Well, and, and and you're crazy if you think the employees haven't picked up on that because oh, yeah. we pull them all in and we do the rah rah and here's what we're going to do, and they leave and they look at each other and go, I'll give it a week. Exactly. Two weeks tops. Flavor of the Actually, month. There's whatever. side bets going on. How long is this going to last? <laughs> right. Yep. Until the next one. <laughs> right. There's Until a little the pool oh, going God. on. Yeah. And I think I think employees just get so fatigued by that. You know, they just, the flavor of the month, the program of the month, the new, whatever that rah-rah buzz, is of the, the buzzword. month. buzzword. Yeah, yeah, and they just get so worn out. And you can see it on their faces. I, I've given presentations to companies or at companies where they just come in and they just sit down and you can just tell that, oh my gosh, here we go again. You know, same thing, different day, whatever, and nothing's going to change. And uh, man, you lose them. You know, I mean, that's part of that problem is uh, leaders, especially when new leaders come in to an organization, they feel the need to make change. Mm -hmm. I have to make impact. Mm -hmm. The military is wrought with this, mm -hmm. right? Because everybody's doing the same thing. Like the, nobody sells anything. So there's really no way to gauge success. Right. You're just, you're maintaining a service. Right. There's, there's no revenue. There's that's no true. bottom line yeah. to look at. So there's no real way to gauge success. Right. Like, there's no uh, market that's dry. Pilots know. are pilots. Like, how do you how do you gauge who's the better pilot? How do you gauge who's the better staff officer? How do you mm -hmm. get, you know, whatever happens to be. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the problem. So it's like, how do you gauge success? Mm -hmm. That Okay, that's tough. That's tough yeah. to put a number on. Right. So now, you know, when employees are in that environment, it's like, okay, we got to make change, right? So oh, if I, right, I got to make some kind of impact. So I got to make a change. Well, it's been running fine. Why do you want to mess mm -hmm. with it? Like, mm -hmm. when's the last time, like, I always joke, like, in the military, like, you'll never get a new commander that says, everything looks good, guys, keep going. <laughs> right? Keep it up. Right? Yeah. Keep it up. It looks good. Keep it up. No, no we got to we gotta, we gotta paint the trash cans black. Why? Because they're red. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. All right. Well, that doesn't Whatever. get him the promotion he wants. Right. Or build exactly. The legacy that right? He wants. Because now it goes back to, are you doing what's best for the organization? Or are you gonna, are you doing what looks best mm -hmm. on you? Yeah. Going back to full circle, what we talked about earlier, like we, we, we lose this service for self. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what's best for the organization rather than making decisions. What's going to best for be for my career. Yeah. Right? So you see change for the sake of making change. Sometimes it's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Again, again, and for, and for organizations that turn over management periodically, it's just over and over go through that same, you know, right. And it's like, now the employees, that's when he plays like, all right, Give it three weeks. Yeah. Oh, we're doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> and God, and oh, that's I, tough, right? Because that. yeah, that now, is tough. now they now it's just it's just white noise and chatter to them after a while. Yeah. And sadly, that's when the big accident will happen. Right. 
right? Because now they're not paying attention to it. It might've been a legit good change Mm -hmm. and they just wrote it off as another flavor of the day. Mm -hmm. They're just going about their business and then something catastrophic Mm -hmm. happens. That's interesting. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. Wow. Okay, man, we are out of time. That was, that, that, that hour went so fast and I'm going to be honest with you. I typically don't go back and re-listen to these podcasts. I mean, you know, um, I've got to go back and re-listen to this because we had there was so much information. Pandora's in there, box is wide oh open my right now. God, now I got to go back and, and figure out where we go next. So, uh, thank you for your time, man. That was incredibly interesting. We're gonna have to do this again. Well, thanks for having me. It's a blast. Yeah, let's do it again sometime for sure. Because I'm gonna have to go back through this and pick some pieces out because I know I didn't ask the right questions. We gotta start wearing mics because some of our best stuff comes out while we're working <laughs> out. Exactly. And now it's often thinner exactly. and the ether. Yeah, no the ether. Yeah, we'll never get it back. Lost when we're just you know. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, well, guys, thank you very much. Um, that, that there's a lot of information in there, and uh, we'll get we'll get back to this, you know, this leadership, this process topic again. Um, I'm sure I'll be able to coax it. Maybe a free lunch. I'll be able to coax Aaron back for another session or two. So, um, I'm going to put contact information for him, probably an email address or something like that, on the website. So, if you do have uh, a need, I mean, if you're interested in more information on leadership or process improvement, things like that. You can reach out to Aaron. Um, I know he's incredibly busy, but uh, we'll post that on the website for you. Um, I was going to say keep up the good work, but that seems like some kind of recognition that might not necessarily be, you know, just keep fighting the good fight. Um, Let me know if you have any more questions or comments. I appreciate all of that, and thank you for listening, and uh, talk to you next time. A Parkville Media Production.